Material for the Brain Conversations for Thinking Bodies Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Material for the Brain podcast. My guest for today is Sarah Hashkes. She's an interpreter from the Bay Area. Uh, the founder of Redix Motion, which is a company that combines neuroscience and immersive technologies to strengthen the connection between the brain and the body. She holds a master's degree in cognitive neuroscience from Redbound University in Holland. She's a black belt in karate. She's a contact improvisation dancer and a movement enthusiast. And I wanted to invite Sarah to the podcast specifically to have a conversation on what does technology has to do with the body. Now, before we begin, I would just like to apologize. We had a bit of a connection problem, so the audio quality is not the best. But nevertheless, I hope you can still enjoy the episode. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm pretty good. We had some technical difficulties, but this is technology. Uh, no problem. Yes, uh, it's part of life, improvisation. It is yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy to have you as, my, as a guest. It's uh, been, uh, I think, a few years since we've met in person, uh, I think in 2010. And I was already there quite curious about the things that you were doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm very happy to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you today. Uh, Yeah, so I, 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 so first I just wanted to, to acknowledge that we, we have a certain common ground of things that we share that are, mm -hmm. that are pretty rare. And I think that uh, we are both to a certain, to certain degree uh, movement and technology nerds, which is uh, quite a rare thing. And I think mm -hmm. it's uh, the first thing I, I wanted to, to ask you is yeah, just Mat if you could... Matan, I met you before you became a dance. You know, like the first, I think, jam or like workshop. I don't know if you remember yes. that. I do, I do remember. You met me when I just started moving and you were Yeah, you couldn't there. touch your feet. <laughs> You're, I think it's one of the most inspiring paths I've seen, like somebody connect to their body throughout the years. So. Uh, thank you, thank you. And yeah, you were already a uh, kicking ass black belt karate then and I was just uh, starting to explore how to get slowly to my toes. That's, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a nice reminder. Uh, yeah, so maybe you can start by sharing a little bit. Uh, how are you? What are you doing nowadays? Uh, where are you in the world? Uh, I'm in Oakland, outside of San Francisco, um, in a community house. Uh, I have a startup that's called Radix Motion. Uh, it takes most of my life. It's more, I, I consider it more of a revolution. You know, I, I keep saying, like, how can I change the world? And now I'm trying to do it the corporate way. Uh, <laughs> So um, yeah, our startup is really focused on how can we get people to move more using technology. At some point I realized, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm. Um, technology is here to stay. These cell phones are here in everybody's hands. Um, these laptops that we sit in front and computers, uh, they're not going away anytime soon. So what can I do with the technology that exists? What can I do? With more immersive technology like virtual reality or augmented reality to increase our connection to our body to give us different types of feedbacks about how we move that are not just mirrors but based on 3d movement data so yeah that's basically what i do all day is be between coding and dancing and moving and 
testing my my applications, which is the most fun. User testing with other people, which is also very fun. Um, but also make sure I get out every day to climb on some trees or train outdoors, because um, as we'll talk more, technology is not yet at the stage where it can replace uh, reality. Yes, for sure. And how do you personally divide your time uh, between, yeah, let's say the the less embodied uh, spaces of working with coding, with coding and, the, and that kind of stuff, and to time where you pay attention to yourself physically? Do you have some guidelines to this for yourself, or you uh, just I I feelings? I mean, I try to take at least an hour a day of full time movement outdoors. Um, the, the bare minimum if possible more but that's the bare minimum uh, and I try to uh, be aware and play around with what how how I move and even while I'm working not stay too in the same posture keep moving my workspace changing it around um, and a lot of what I do is test so all the time get up test dance in my own virtual reality world or that, that's the nice part. The testing isn't with code, the testing is with my body because what we're building are. Um, uh, and what do body. you, what, and what do you do uh, nowadays when it comes to physical embodiment? Like what's your favorite things to do at the moment? So it's, you know, I'm sure it's not a news to anyone that we're in a pandemic. <laughs> um, and of course the thing, one of the things I miss most is like, practicing uh, uh, with other people closely. Most of the stuff I do is contact improv or martial arts, contact sports. Um, and I think for many movers, that's become a, a very, very big challenge. Um, I'm quite lucky that I do live in a community house that has a few other uh, people that are interested in dancing or climbing or practicing with me, um, my partner especially. Um, we do a lot of movement together. Uh, so I've, I've moved a lot as much as I can to outdoor stuff. I'll go bouldering outside um, or climbing uh, that is COVID safe and can be outside and can still do that with, with friends and as they go. Cool, cool. Yeah, I can definitely identify with this uh, miss for training partner. And I think, yeah, COVID definitely made a reflection of, on like, who are the people who are closing, living close to you and what is, what, what is their relationship to their bodies? Because it affects, suddenly it affects your own relationship. And that's an interesting yeah. thing to notice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's dive a little bit into why you are here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit on, uh, on, on Radix Motion and like, uh, what are you doing there? Yeah, so, you know, most of us uh, do work to some degree with computers and technology all day. And these devices, we're not really designed by people that are uh, very embodied or have a movement practice. Um, they're really just utilizing our fingers to type in information and do abstract uh, processing. And it doesn't have to be this way. We're getting to stages where we can detect our human body, we can detect our poses. Um, with this you know, long-term vision of how can we connect to technology in a way that is healthy for us that brings in more of our body into it. So that's the, the sort of long-term vision and this gap that I see, because like you said, most technologists are, are not very embodied and most embodied and dancers don't like technology because there's that gap. Technology can't really represent the body fully yet. Um, 
but I feel that, you know, if, if why, why I'm doing this is if I don't do it, I don't see anybody else really working in this angle in this domain. So it comes from a need of mine. Um, and one of the biggest needs is to stay in, in dance and contact and physical play with people from all over the world um, that I can't see in normal day-to-day -day life. Like I would love to be able to train in 3D with you, right? Um, get your 3D movements. You can't get this through video. Our brain uh, is hardwired from an evolutionary perspective to process 3D data uh, very different than it just does 2D screen data. Um, and I, I want that. Can you, can you elaborate on this? Because I've just, in my last uh, episode, I, I made a solo episode and I talked a little bit on different ways of learning and I, and I talked a little bit about the difference between online and offline learning. And, and now you're, you're pointing something that is connected, of course, to your background as a, a cognitive, cognitive neuroscientist. So could you, could you elaborate on this? Why, why is it different when I watch you on a screen and I watch your movement because me for me as a dancer personally if I see you move on a screen yeah. I have the skills to uh, refer to to what you're doing and copy it or whatever so what is what is the difference on the brain level so the, there's a few things what generally the more different types of sensory input your brain gets that higher level of brain activation you get there's synergies between the different senses. So we have our proprioceptive sense, right, of where our body is in space that is uh, internal to us. But then we have our visuals, we have our eyesight, we have our smell, we have haptic touch sensation on our um, inside our skin. None of these things, except for visual 2D, do we get through a screen. Um, so we're, we're losing a lot, a lot of that data. Now, possibly as a dancer that has so much experience on how the body moves, you can compensate it and maybe, uh, you know, learn a choreography or something like that. But if you're looking to form um, an empathetic connection with your teacher, uh, you're looking to form a deeper uh, understanding of what's going on on the emotional level, it's very difficult to get from a video because we don't have all these little cues that our brain is very used to getting and, and sort of needs to get. Maybe we'll change evolutionary if we, we're stuck in zoo for the next decade, um, but hopefully not. So that's one thing. And the second thing is generally 2D data is different than 3D data. Um, when we get 3D data, we're getting uh, the depth perspective, uh, perspective um, and are able to model that uh, ac accurately. Versus when we're just uh, in front of a 2D screen, we're sort of uh, just need to guesstimate, right? We don't actually have that perspective of something moving closer to us. We're seeing a 2D thing getting bigger versus uh, a 3D thing actually moving in 3D space. Um, and for our brains, um, you know, 3D navigation is incredibly important. It's probably the origin of our memory. Uh, if you look at the hippocampus, which is where uh, the memories are basically formed, you find specific cells that are called play cells that are all about where your brain, where your physical body is in space. Um, so if we're getting into these virtual 2D things that are not really a space, we're not getting as much of that um, um, activation in our brains. So um, there's not a lot of research on this, but a little bit that, for instance, when you do learn things in VR, uh, you're activating much more spatial memory and you can retain memory for longer too. Hmm, so, very interesting. 
Yeah, it's actually, uh, it, I mean, you've mentioned something about creating an uh, empathetic connection to your teacher. And I think one thing that is obvious for many people who are having the experience of teaching and learning via the Zoom platform or whatever platform they're out there is that it's quite okay for delivering information, but it's quite weak for delivering experiences. Because again, like, okay, if I'm very interested in consuming some knowledge or, or getting specific drills, so I can use it. But if I want yeah. to go into an experience, it's it really, it's it's lame. It doesn't work. And uh, so, so- Yeah, I like that distinction. And it's the first time I've heard th those words, but yes, you can transfer information. We're transferring mm -hmm. bytes now but our embodied experience really requires all those sensory inputs that we're not getting. And, and uh, so, so why, why would VR would be that different? Because I would guess that at this point, many, many people uh, who are interested in, in, in embodiment and in movement, they will still be skeptic. Why would I want to wear some uh, plastic goggles and why would yeah. seeing some, uh, some virtual bites will actually be that different and, and yeah. I guess uh, maybe I, so I was the biggest skeptic honestly before I tried VR I was literally um, the person who put me in VR I was just telling them um, you know you're just gonna put a screen on me it's gonna change my brain I have a full body you can't like th this is bullshit um, but then I tried it and um, you know unsurprisingly it was a, a VR porn experience and I was in a body of a man and I looked down and I had the body of a man and it was, it was just, you know, changed my whole perspective of what you can do to brains, how easy it is to trick them. Because the moment my eyes were actually connected to the way I move my head and uh, those two senses got connected, the proprioception with the visual sensation, my brain really believed that I was in a different body. Um, so the moment you are able to start changing that belief about what your body is, is incredibly strong. And that's something that we can't even do without technology. Like for me to believe I'm in your body, right? There's, I can try to mirror you. I can look at you in the mirror. I can imagine I'm moving the same way you are. But for me to actually be in your body and try to copy your movements from that first person perspective, um, was something that just fascinated me. What can we do with that? Can I, I have this, you know, imagination, put me in Matan's body, I'll be able to dance like him, uh, maybe. Uh, so that was a bit of a, a, a fantasy that I had. And I went into research trying to, to realize what are the limitations of this? Can I see data that um, shows me that this is actually uh, helpful? But you you um, mentioned the word belief there, but, uh, and I want to ask something because Maybe I understand it already differently because I, I read the, some parts of your MA work. But when you mean belief, yeah. what you mean now is that the brain believes, not like, like, not like a belief in the sense of a religious belief or whatever belief, but that the brain actually starts to experience itself differently. Is this what you're meaning? Yes, yes. So my, all my work is based on a framework that's called predictive coding, which I highly recommend everybody uh, look into. This, this framework of cognitive neuroscience looks at the brain as a prediction machine that doesn't know what's going out in the world. The brain is inside a box receiving sensory inputs from the different senses. Um, and the brain combines two sources of information, whatever is coming in constantly, but the brain also has a previous knowledge base. 
all the history, all uh, the statistical correlations that have been learned previously are called priors or beliefs sometimes. So, uh, you know, there is no such thing really as being in the moment. Uh, every moment that you're experiencing also has um, the cumulative effects and the, the whole knowledge that your brain has experienced from the beginning. Um, or, yes, so, so you can start playing with these uh, uh, statistical correlations in ways that don't fit your usual beliefs. Like I have a very known belief about the size of my body, the shape of my body, and in virtual reality, I can start giving different types of information that don't fit that previous prior or belief that I have, uh, that my brain has. And what does this do to the brain, actually? Uh, so it rewires it. There's um, um, VR is being used, for instance, to treat uh, anorexia patients, uh, uh, and they can actually rewire people's beliefs about their body. So um, that's pretty amazing. That's very powerful. Uh, and we need to see how we use this in a healthy way, uh, in the way that we want to use it, because uh, we can expect if we're seeing positive results with anorexia patients, we might also start seeing the opposite, negative results, right? Um, if you're, uh, I don't know, playing all these VR games and you're always this big, strong creature and then you take off your headset and that's not what you are, we might start seeing these, the, um, these experiences cause dysmorphia uh, in different types of ways. So yeah, that's exactly, also important. It's exactly what I, what I was thinking because there is a certain, uh, uh, you know, like a double-edged sword on one hand, yeah. I can uh, disconnect from my body and get into a different body and learn something, but I can mm -hmm. also literally disconnect. So wh yeah. what's your take on it? What, how, what do you think is the way to navigate in this uh, new realm that is relatively new, I would say, no? Yeah, yeah. So my recommendations, um, uh, and we actually built this room in uh, one of the biggest platforms that is called VR Chat, where people can just uh, basically like Second Life, but in VR. And we built a room explaining to people what VR does to their brains with some recommendations. Uh, and our recommendation is don't get too attached to your avatar. Switch it up a lot. Um, even change avatars that are less similar to you. Um, because when things are too similar to you, but a little bit different, that's when it starts really competing with the, the regular belief that you have. We as humans have great capacity to put on costumes, use tools and put them down, right? And go back to just being uh, without these tools, without these costumes and different clothing. All these things affect our sense of, of bodily self. Um, but if you're always doing the same thing and it's very close to what you are but not exactly you might start seeing stronger dysmorphic effects when you're not in vr um, and that's why in our designs and the things we build we we build things that are very fantastical uh, you can be a cat um, an owl you can have tentacle arms uh, you can be at 10,000 particles that are just, you're controlling them with your body. Can you, can you have a tail? Yeah. Oh, that's my dream. I've been working <laughs> on a tail for so long. I have some prototypes. Yeah, that's, ex that's you know, when, totally when I my was, dream. When I was in my dance uh, academy yeah. uh, and we studied ballet every day and, you know, ballet has this kind of grace and complexity in it. And we would always imagine what would it, what would it be to do a ballet also with a tail and then you will have to kind of synchronize the, the tail and, yeah. yeah exactly 
this would be great to experience. Uh, but wait, I realized that I, I a little bit interrupted you to 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 actually explain every all the audience who are listening to what Redix Motion is actually doing. So you started to explain like the the base of the initiation of the of the company, but. What, what are you actually offering to people? What yeah, so we have a, pr uh, a prototype out there that's called Me You, because it's about trying to connect me and you, which is a messenger that's based on body, body movements. So uh, I can record a 3D uh, short dance. We have like se a seven second recording currently our platform can deal with, um, where I can jump, hug, um, Mostly, we don't do very well with sitting or rolling on the floor. <laughs> that, that goes wacko. Uh, but things like juggling, uh, upper body, uh, uh, boxing, anything that you want to basically um, record a movement. Um, and we enhance these movements with games. Uh, uh, for instance, when I, there's a game when I go like this, I can throw uh, hearts that you can catch. There's a game when uh, I jump up and down, I sprout little truffles that people can go around and collect. Um, there's a, like a clapping game. So things that you do with your body will actually um, uh, create a game for your friend to play with in 3D space. Um, so, so instead of me just typing messages, I can start interacting in a different way, you would say a more physical way. Yeah, exactly. Instead of uh, saying, sending somebody like a heart emoji, you can get off your chair, <laughs> do a little dance, blow some kisses, and that person will actually receive that um, either in virtual reality or on their mobile phone uh, in 3D space and can interact with that. Now, currently, this is all avatar based. Um, so the, 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 they're not going to see you. They're going to see you as a cat or an owl. Um, and we're, we're seeing a lot of, um, I guess when, when we user test, people are not connecting to that, especially in AR In virtual reality, it's very immersive, but we're trying to use mobile phones too, to get people to communicate in this physical way. And we've definitely identified that most people do not connect empathetically to, uh, uh or, or don't identify, you know, the jumping owl, or cute cat with matat necessarily. Um, so yeah, if, if, if I said, uh, um, especially if we're trying to do, we're, we're really hoping to create some like intergenerational thing where grandchildren can send their grandparents, um, some hugs, like everything with COVID now, people are so mm. distanced that we're trying to, to use technology to bring them physically uh, in a physical interaction together. So, we're prototyping a type of new approach where we're going to be combining video, but with 3D interactions. And we're, we're going to see how that goes. We might have something ready by Christmas or, or New Year's, hopefully. Um, and and uh, one thing that I remember that you've mentioned and, and uh, when we met in 2018, you told me, I mean, I know your background uh, as, a, as a martial artist, and you told me that you've been also... Uh, utilizing VR also for training. Yeah. Uh, and and can you share a little bit about? Yeah. So it's had a, a. Yeah. So for instance, uh, what I've done is uh, shadow box myself, right? Uh, record myself and then play it back. So I'm fighting myself in 3D. 
Uh, and that was a very fun. I was like, whoa, I'm so fast. That's pretty great. But also I could see, you know, like, wow, my head, like this, this gap that I have, like my head's actually pretty open. And it helped me like realize I should be relaxing my neck more and closing angles more because when your teacher tells you a thousand times, do this, you're like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm trying. Uh, even when you record on 2D video, which is helpful, right? When you record your movements on 3D video, but then when you're actually interacting with your own movements and trying to fight yourself, uh, there's a lot to learn there uh, and a lot to like improve uh, in a much more interactive way. So that's one thing I did. The other is record actually uh, some students in my in my class. Last time I visited Israel, I recorded uh, some of the advanced students and also my brother. Uh, and I can train with them now. It's of course uh, not very improvised, <laughs> but we have a lot. You know, in martial arts, a lot of the exercises are very, in some ways, not improvised. You're just standing in front of somebody, bow, and you know that somebody's going to now punch you, and you need to block or move. Um, so I could record their punches uh, and then fight them whenever I want, try to deal with my brother's speed, which I still can't, even in VR after many times, he's still like a thousand times faster than me. So, f so if we take the, you know, the famous scene in uh, Matrix where Neo fight uh, Morpheus in the, yeah. in the imaginary dojo and where we are right now, so what would be the gap? What would be the most, the closest thing that we could simulate today, me, sitting in the same room or in another room with you and using all the, the best technology that we have, what we would get nowadays? Uh, with the best technology, like if I would put you in a motion capture suit, we could get pretty close fidelity. Um, um, the, you know, you'd get a little bit of weird things on like elbow placements <laughs> slightly um, and some... Like, especially with your movers, you'd see that the fluidity isn't the, the Matan fluidity that, that you, you know, uh, but you would get very accurate poses of place, placements of your joints in space and time. And you could potentially stream that to me and I would be in a totally different space um, fighting you. Uh, it goes again, much worse the moment you take the body to the ground and start rolling around. Uh, a lot of this is, uh, so it's a problem that's called inverse kinematics um, in the space where we have um, some of the points of where the body is and we try to build a model of where the other points are and what the rest of the body is doing. Because even in a suit that has, you know, multiple points that we're recording, we don't record every like uh, rib, for instance, um, or every, every little uh, movement. There's there's so much movement in our body and we're not able to record all of that. So there's these inverse kinematics models that try to guess where other things in the body are based on where the things that we're measuring are. Uh, and the more points you can get, the more accurate it becomes. Okay, wow, it sounds it sounds like, like a complicated task to achieve then. And and but you would so you would say that when it comes to to um, a vertical movement when when two people are standing, so it it would be realistic because I, it would be realistic to imagine something like this, like a 
like a sparring without impact session. Yeah, and if you want impact, there's already suits out there that give you both vibrations, uh, electric shocks, wow. uh, just to, so uh, if we're going very high end, there's ways to do this. Now, personally, what I'm interested in and what like we're trying to do with Radix Motion is not go very high end, go with technology that people can actually afford. We're trying to democratize this high end and no, we can't give people, you know, they're, they're that type of high level of fidelity yet, um, but we're trying to. We're trying to do our best with like AI, uh, combining just regular cameras. Um, for instance, uh, just, just a webcam can now with pose detection and, and AI algorithms um, know where your joints are and, and communicate that into virtual reality or augmented reality. So that's the, that's the angle we're trying to take as something that is more accessible to everyone. Oh, that sounds, that sounds sm smart strategy. Uh, I, I'm just curious to, to, because of course, everything that is now extremely expensive in 10, 15 years, maybe it's yeah. in every living room. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the reason I'm asking, because uh, again, like what I, what I like about your approach that you're, that you're, you have a, you're utilizing knowledge from uh, neuroscience to, to actually uh, back it up into something that would make sense to why would I want to train like this? Because I can always just go to the next uh, uh, boxing gym and, and find a partner to spar. But maybe with what you're proposing, I would be able to access a specific trainer that I want that doesn't exactly. live here and work with him and... Uh, Exactly. Or, or participate in a in a dance class with a with a with a with a teacher that I I'm, I really admire and get something else from 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 the experience. But but are there still because we cannot simulate all the senses so through virtual reality. Yeah. So so what would you say like what is happening when we cannot smell? Like yeah, we're losing affect? stuff. We're, how, we're but how does definitely. this affect? How does this affect that? affects us on, on the movement level? What does smell has to do? Um, it's, a, it's a great, so smell is a very interesting sense because it actually goes directly to our cortex without even passing the, the, the central uh, thalamus, um, which might be why, you know, smells can immediately take people to like a specific memory uh, or smells that sometimes are connect very much to like our childhood and old memories. Um, and I'm not sure what it would do. I do. I can tell you that there are some prototypes that do also transfer smells in virtual reality. Um, There's still, you know, coffee smell, apple smell, uh, but possibly human scent uh, is not very far from that either. Um, so we're slowly trying to get to that point where we can simulate more and more of the senses. Um, my my guess would be that we use this as uh, even in martial arts, you know, uh, it's not, it's the eyes are very important, but we use all the senses to know where someone is in space and how things move. Uh, and that will definitely, we won't have that yet until, until we do, but. Uh, one, one thing that I picked up in your, in your bio that, that uh, provoked my curiosity is that you've mentioned psychedelics as part of the of your uh, field of research and, and that is connected to what you're doing. And when, and when we are talking about these, let's say, 
out of body experiences and and identity and 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 embodiment uh, from from that from the short experience i have with psychedelic i can see the connection but could you elaborate a little bit about it yeah so um psychedelics we've talked about the top down and and bottom up right the top down information coming from your senses and this these priors beliefs uh that are called top down information that's coming from your brain so psychedelics break down these top down beliefs uh an example i like to give is if you imagine what your brain is constantly doing is building sand castles there's just like lots and lots of sand coming from all the sensory input And your, your priors, your beliefs are having these buckets and trying to build the reality. We're constructing our, uh, our reality all the time. Uh, so psychedelics take these buckets that you have and break them down into smaller buckets, into weird shaped buckets, less likely shaped buckets. Um, and now your reality is actually different. What can you do with buckets that are smaller? You can get much more details. But also there's so much sand that's constantly coming into your brain and that that creates a type of overload sensation for your brain that now needs to deal with all the sand and it starts rerouting it. And that's when you get these interesting effects like synesthesia when uh, audio, for instance, is affecting your visual perception and you can see things change color and things move based on uh, the actual audio input that's coming in. Um, so this is, this is, um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So this is sort of the, the, the model of psychedelics. I wrote a, a paper, um, that's becoming more and more mainstream with, with, uh, two years until some of the biggest experts are starting to like cite it and agree with this, uh, uh, understanding that this is psychedelics break down the top down beliefs and priors that we have, um, now I can't with, with virtual reality, I can't actually directly break down the priors, but I can influence them by changing the statistical correlations in my senses. For instance, if I put you in a body where when you move your right hand, you see your left hand moving, right? That doesn't fit the usual model you have about yourself. That doesn't fit your belief about how your body works. Uh, so I can really create a very big prediction error between your model And the, the, the incoming senses. And now your brain has a, a, a choice. It needs to figure out what it's doing with all this prediction error, all this new sand that's coming in. And it can also start routing that and creating um, this extra neural plasticity, this, these extra senses like uh, uh, synesthesia because of this overwhelming uh, uh, difference um, in statistical correlations compared yeah. to what you're used to. And I, I, I guess many people who, who, have, who, who have experiences with psychedelic also associated to healing, a lot of work with trauma. Yeah. At least that's the context that I've been exposed to psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, but do you see, do you see the, this, the, the possibility to use uh, this effect of, as you say, to break the top-down connection with VR? Do, does, do, do you see any benefic beneficial things also in that regard? Or... Would you say that it's more like mind tricks at this point from what we know? Uh, the, I, definitely, there's lots of research on benefits, both in psychedelics and VR um, around things, again, like treating bo both of these uh, tools can very much help with treating trauma, changing the beliefs you have about yourself, uh, allowing you to uh, connect to your inner traumatized uh, 
children parts and reprogram them to feel safe with, within the adult context that you are currently in. Uh, because it, again, it increases the neural plasticity and we see this usually lost in age. There's a very specific uh, in the development stages that a child goes through, there's very specific times where things become very plastic and then there's a pruning that happens and the connections between the neurons are broken. So whatever is informed at that point in time uh, gets less plastic and it's much harder to train in a specific skill. Um, for instance, they know this about languages that if you don't, um, I think until the age of two, if you're not exposed to a language, you'll never really be a native speaker. You might be able to speak the language very well, but they will be able to identify in your brain activation that you're not a native speaker. Hmm. Um, so if we can take this extra plasticity, either with psychedelics or with virtual reality, we have the chance to revert our brain to a more childlike state where we can retrain it to do things uh, that, that possibly, you know, we weren't privileged enough to, to grow up, for instance, in, in a place where we got exposed to these skills or this type of training um, or this type of care. So that's uh, very exciting. And, and maybe uh, just to elaborate a little bit on this topic and, and, and what is your opinion more on the, you know, on the social level that the, the, the VR experiences can take us? Like what, what do you, because I, again, like I, yeah. I, I, there's a, a lot of pos possibility to play with identities and, and yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, so that's a big part of why I'm like dedicating so much uh, of myself to this because it has huge potential, but this isn't gonna come from the big companies. Facebook is not gonna help us come closer, uh, you know, actually. Um, they're gonna keep uh, uh, trying to sell us advertisements to things we, we don't want and all, the, all those things that we're, we're seeing and the ne negative impacts of our social networks. Um, so uh, there's huge potential in being able to really understand what it means to be queer, to understand that there's things that go beyond uh, gender and biology uh, into the domains of understanding the deeper parts of, of what goes on in our brain, the deeper parts of what we can express through our movements. Um, and that's why I'm so fascinated and, and so want to bring in the, the possibilities that this technology allows, because I don't think it's gonna come from the mainstream. And I think it needs to come from uh, the people that want this. Take it a bit further. So what, what, do you, what do you... So a lot, like we've been called a lot of like, uh, 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 you know, following in the ideas of Terence McKenna. Like, can I, if I am spending a day in Matan's body, right? Will I then be able to have a bigger sense of empathy towards him. Um, I'm talking, for instance, with a couples therapist and he might be piloting a thing where you can now record VR video, right? Um, so imagine he's doing a session with one part of the, of the uh, couple and they record that session in VR. And then the other uh, part of the couple goes into VR and experiences that session, but from that person's perspective. So they can actually 
hear that person's voices if it's coming from their own head, look down and see the body movements, how that person, you know, physically reacted and felt uh, through the somatic experience of the body. Um, will that person then have a stronger empathy towards their partner? Will they be able to understand the pains that they don't have, but their partner is feeling just by being embodied in that partner's body? And, um, and is it relatively, is there, I, I wonder, is there already literature within the psychological world domain on, on VR and therapy like that? Like to what so you're this, saying about the embodiment and... and yeah. The, Yeah, so there's a lot of literature on, uh, for instance, bias training. They've done things um, with uh, putting uh, white people inside of bodies of black people, uh, and they show that there is an increase in empathy. Um, they've, they've taken uh, abusive um, people that are um, in a domestic abuse situation where they're uh, being, you know, uh, anger tantrums or violent and put them in bodies of children experiencing this uh, uh, trauma, uh, you know, from a, a child perspective of seeing an adult. Um, and they've shown that that had a very strong uh, and effective, uh, as, a, as an effective intervention. Uh, and you need to be careful because you can actually really traumatize a person. You can also, if it's like too much, sometimes the brain just shuts down and, and dissociates and then you decrease the levels of empathy. So there's like a thin line to traverse um, around how much this person can actually experience. If you put them through like too much hell, they'll just like break down or be traumatized themselves. Yeah, so you I really need to be careful. But I guess that's uh, kind of the risk in every therapeutic method, no? like that you want to do it in a, yeah. in a way that enables the parents, the, the, the parents, the the person to to touch the trauma but not too much but you mentioned now the idea of of of, uh, of yeah entering through um to a child to see the world through a child body i guess yeah that's a very interesting uh yeah there's an amazing direction. paper from uh stanford university where they use this to treat uh, uh depressed patients that were resistant to medication um and in that experiment you start in vr you see a child Uh, that's crying and your therapist sits with you tells you can you calm down that child just you know be nice to them calm them down and then the next part of the experiment uh, the person finds themselves in that body of that same child and then sees their own avatar that they previously recorded talking to them with their body movements calming them with their own voice um, and that was also shown to have uh, really positive results for for people Um, because once you can, you know, your adult self can now actually have direct contact with your child self. No, it's, it's very interesting because I think like, I, I'm also thinking when it comes to, to, to movement, like there, there is so much yeah. heritage we carry from, so from childhood, body so memory, much. trauma that is stored in the body and, 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 you know, sometimes I walk in the, in, in the street and I see some, grumpy face of an old person and and i and very often I, it comes to me this thought now and maybe it's because i'm a father that, that and, and i'm asking myself where are the traces of of their inner child who is just sweet and adorable that you want to hug and kiss and now they're all grumpy and tense but where is it still somewhere there and i wonder like yeah. 
I wonder what does it what would it make me feel if I would suddenly have a moment of experiencing the world again through that perspective. Did you went through something like this yourself or? So I, I recreated this experiment with a baby, uh, not a child, but like a, a baby. Um, and it was very impactful for me. Um, I just, there was this a uh, baby floating in space and I was just like trying to be nice to the baby. And then I went into the body of a baby and had these huge hands and huge <laughs> face. Not of me, it was just like a blank, sort of vague uh, uh, face and hands. And I could hear my own voice trying to be uh, kind to the baby. And then I sent the baby into space <laughs> to fly and explore the planets or something. Uh, and it had, um, yeah, I set that up as a like experience in a few events um, here in the Bay Area. And I think everybody that went through that had quite a transformative experience. Um, What about, so, the, what about the animal kingdom? I know, you know, like in the movement world, there is a lot of, uh, let's say, animal, yeah. animal trends. Animal, and animal. Some, most of the time I see it more as a gimmick, but what would you, what would you think about that? I think it's genius. Uh, I think, I think it, it, and these ideas came to me actually, uh, you know, uh, Shira uh, um, teaches a lot, uh, Shira Yaziv, um, we both know, teaches a lot with like metaphors, visual metaphors. Uh, around sometimes tales and different animals and things that you do. Um, and it's incredibly helpful. This was also part of my academic thesis. When you're trying to teach movement to most people, uh, if you break it down into then do this angle 90 degrees, hand 20 degrees, this, you're activating much higher level parts of your brain that are slower um, versus just giving an instruction that's based on uh, a visual idea is going to be much lower in the brain, much faster, and for a lot of people, more effective in learning. Um, we're not really meant to learn uh, from like the animalistic perspective. We're not really meant to learn <laughs> such very precise step-after-step uh, -step actions. What we are from an evolutionary perspective meant to do is very goal oriented. So what is your goal in this? Uh, what one of the teachers I remember Marlo was saying like, you know, you're cleaning a window with your butt, which is like ridiculous, but also, oh, I have a goal now. I don't need to break it down to my hip bone goes 30 degrees here and then upwards 20 degrees, then it goes that way. Um, so I just have you, a visual metaphor so why and I can that? use that in virtual reality. Yeah, I can so, give you the tail. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I've interrupted yeah, yeah. you. Uh, yeah. But why do you, so why do you think, uh, is it so common to teach movement uh, in that matter of precision and, and, you know, align yourself exactly like that? Like, why do you think it's, if it's so counterintuitive for the brain, why do you think it's so common? What, is there any advantage? You tell me. The, <laughs> is, there any is there any advantage for, from the brain to... I mean, I, so I think, you know, The comment, the um, world of modern dance is a weird world of aesthetically, you know, trying to create something that's aesthetically pleasing to a crowd. Um, But is, it's also uh, in fitness, in martial art, in many, in many areas, mm -hmm. I see that, you know, like people will tell you, like, make sure that your shoulder is exactly 30 degrees, you know, and all these kind of ideas. I also yeah. sometimes say these things. 
uh, is there any is there no uh, a, let's say certain advantage in also including cognitive the cognitive brain while you study maybe there might be but my you know that my best guess would be that you need to find that a way for that knowledge to percolate down to your faster subconscious levels and that's you know when we talk about training 10,000 uh, hours or doing something 10,000 times until you become an expert it's for that as to take some high level concept and you can actually see this in the brain as you learn things they move the activation pattern moves further back from your prefrontal um, and more forward areas of the motor cortex it starts moving back into um, uh, the lower level parts of your brain and this um, is what you would call flow this is what I would call flow when your prefrontal cortex shuts up and lets the rest of your body, uh, the parts that are supposed to be dealing with movement, dealing with a specific task. You can have flow in a chess game. You can have flow in solving math, uh, but very specific modules of your brains that have that expertise, they get to dictate the activity of the rest of the brain without this higher level uh, nonsense parts uh, interfering. Interesting. Yeah, uh, and there the are experiments where they actually shut down. They can like electrocute parts of your brain to shut them down to put you in a state of flow. This has been around for a while. Uh, one one thing that comes in mind because we are talking also about technology and, and equipment. So let, let's say a person like me who doesn't have any experience with VR, like, okay, how do I start? What, 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 what would you recommend somebody? What should I get? Like, how does it work? Can you explain a little bit too? Because I'm sure many viewers uh, or listeners uh, yeah. uh, of my podcast would not necessarily have any connection to this world. Yeah. Um, so th you're putting me in a difficult situation because I really don't want to recommend Facebook uh, <laughs> products. <laughs> But un unfortunately, they are currently the um, cheapest consumer device out there. For less than $300, you can get um, a VR headset that is uh, very consumer friendly um, when it comes to the technology. Um, they're not so friendly towards independent developers like me. It'll, getting my software onto the headset will require you to do a little bit of like ma manual labor of putting your headset into developer mode and downing, downloading what I build from not the official store because despite everything we're trying to do, um, despite the fact that they say they want to connect people, they're not uh, letting the in, in indie developers like me on their store. Um, so that's one of the biggest players. Uh, if you have a gaming computer by any chance, like if you are already a gamer, um, then are headsets by Vive that you connect to your gaming computer that are probably better quality and you can get like a wireless ad adapter because I think for movers it is fun to be untethered uh, and be wireless to be able to move around. Um, so, so those are the two um, big VR companies that exist, uh, Oculus and Vive. Oculus is owned by and do you and do you need like a, a special computer or or any? So for Oculus, no, you just need like the, a regular. Um, uh, not you don't need any computer. It's a it's a standalone. But for for Vive, you do need a gaming computer, something that has a strong graphics processor, um, akin to a. This is going to be very technical for people who are like uh, have a, a, a 1080 um, Nvidia graphics card, something around that. 
uh, and a Windows computer um, if you want to run uh, like that, the higher VR headsets that connect to computers. And, and, and is there a lot of like already VR communities, online communities where people are, are, are connecting and sharing? Is it already? Yeah, 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 definitely. Like the one again, the one I would recommend is VR chat that actually has a, a big like a breakdance type community in it, mostly Asian. Um, and they have like these dance offs in VR and uh, uh, competitions and make very cool videos. They can add, if you have a vibe, you can actually add more trackers to yourself. So you can uh, buy these little trackers and put them on your knees, on your legs, uh, and then you can get more of your body into the system because currently with VR, we just have two hands and a head. Mm. So it's three points in space. Cool, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely gonna try to see how I'm, how I'm gonna, because I, I'm, how I'm gonna have my first VR experience because I, I, I missed the, the, the invitation when I was in uh, San Francisco to experience it with you. Okay. Uh, but it's something I'm, I'm definitely interested to, to play with. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I want to I say thank you for the time and everything that you've shared. Yeah. I've definitely learned a lot. And I, and I wanted to ask, like, where can people find you if they want to hear more and read more and connect more to the things you're doing? Maybe you can share a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Hashkis. Um, maybe you can post, like, a link with this. Um, I'm very happy to connect to Movers. We're even giving out uh, small grants um, to provide uh, dancers and movers with a tech um, if, they're, if they want to explore uh, embodiment, our technology, give us feedback. Um, so we're working, we currently have a dancer in Belgium uh, and another um, movement uh, dancer technologist uh, here in the Bay Area that we're working with a little bit to basically we just want this technology to get into the hands of movers that otherwise wouldn't um, so if there's people out there or uh, if you want to we can we can talk about sending you a headset um, uh, so yeah definitely uh, contact me and we also do have a mobile app out there um, the movement fidelity in it isn't as uh, amazing um, from like a, an iPhone, but you can also check that out, Mew3D. It does identify things like jumping and, and blowing kisses and turning around uh, and moving in, in space. So there is a type of movement language that can be created, but it's, uh, I understand that for dancers that are so embodied, it's a constraint. So um, if people are down to, you know, look at this as a creative constraint of how they can communicate with their bodies uh, with the limitations of the technology, I think they might find it uh, very interesting. Um, they can try that too. Cool, so I, I will make sure to put links to, yeah. to all your social medias and your uh, uh, company website. And uh, yeah, and I hope that uh, next time we meet, we can also uh, use the VR together and, uh, and have yeah. a more uh, complete way of experiencing each other. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your time okay. and everything you shared. And I hope you enjoyed being, yeah, uh, was fun. being a guest. For more movement-related content and educational training programs, visit our website at www.movementlab.com.